back. Hey, Brett, how's it going this week? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance. And we've decided to keep doing two episodes a week. So uh. <laughs> this is very exciting. This is a surprise Wednesday episode. All right. And yeah, thank you everybody for the positive feedback that you gave uh, for the new episodes. So yeah, we're really happy with doing them. So we're happy to be continuing to bring them to you guys. Yeah, we actually have a lot of fun with these ones because we feel like we can kind of talk about whatever we want really and go off script a little bit more and maybe talk about more cheeseburgers. So, I mean, it's been burger week here in Orlando. Oh, yeah. We're really living it up. We've been putting our burger valuation to the test because all burgers at all these restaurants around us that are normally a fortune, like... $14 burgers for like five bucks. So yeah, it's, it's been a good week. Yeah, we, we like didn't go out to dinner like in February hardly at all. So we, we get to splurge for burger week here. Yeah. A couple times. So Brad, are you ready for your trivia question? Uh, yeah, I thought we were done with those now that we're doing two episodes a week. Right? No, no. That just means you get more practice. So you can have, like <laughs> okay, look no. really good for our Monday episode. Now there's two a week forever. This is awful. So what percentage... Of Americans, 75 or older, still have a mortgage. Uh, 75 or older? Yeah. How many people are 75 or older are still in their house? Uh, <laughs> Take uh, that into consideration when you give me this percentage. I don't know. It's probably some weird number, like 38%. 21%. Okay. I knew it was coming. Which, weird. it's actually up from a decade ago. It used to be 8%. And it spiked to 21%, which means, as I've t- we've talked about a lot on this podcast, that there is a retirement crisis going on in this country. Or, We're- conversely, people are not paying off their mortgage very strategically to invest differently. But I, based off what I've read, that is not what's happening. Well, we're still, I mean, that's going to get worse probably, right? Because the baby boomer generation, which hasn't notoriously been that great at its retirement savings, uh, hasn't hit that marker yet. Not like that generation isn't at the 75 yeah, they're year at mark. Yeah, the, they're at the bubble. Um, yeah, I think they're maybe, in retirement some age, first, but they're not 75. maybe some of the first baby boomers are starting to turn 75. Now it has to be pretty close. That wave is it's a big right wave. there. Yeah. So um, but but yeah, you're you're but, right. That number can definitely grow, and and it's kind of scary, you know. Like I think just in general, we, you know, we really do need to be paying attention to these sorts of things and preparing for our later years because you know it's I don't know to me. And I know again, the math might win out to you know invest instead of paying off your mortgage. But by the time you're 75 or older. I wouldn't recommend people that age be 100% invested in stocks anyways. So then the percentage that you're going to get when you're invested drops, right? And so paying off your mortgage becomes more attractive at that point. Right. But if you are, you know, if you roll into a new house or, or, or you move around anytime after you're 45, right, and you end up with a 30-year mortgage, like I know people that are in this situation that are like 43, 44 when they like got another house, got a 30-year mortgage on that house. Yeah, you're going to still be paying that off as long as you're on the same payment plan. Well, and I think we're seeing a lot more people in their 50s or 60s just in general decide that now is the time to buy my dream home. Mm-hmm. And so then even if you get a 15-year mortgage, you're going to be in this situation. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and a lot of people after they retire, maybe they, you know, move somewhere warmer and they get a new house. And even if they downsize, they might get a mortgage on it. And you, you very quickly fall into this trap, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting uh, stat. And I think it kind of fits because this episode, I wanted to talk about 
how to stay motivated when you are saving money or paying off debt. And because I think a lot of people, retirement feels so far away that it's easy to just get discouraged or easy to be like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, ratchet my 401k savings down so that I can go on vacation now and live in the moment while I'm young, right? I mean, how many people talk about not wanting to waste their youth? And I th- I agree with some of that, but at the same time, it's not so much about wasting your youth as like also making sure that older you is not going to struggle in life, right? Right. Because whether, I mean, it's easy to get started with the process, right? Because you're motivated, you have all these like negative things that are happening to you and like you get to put all these new processes in place to get you set up. But keeping that going and like not pulling back and stealing out of that pot or like having other things affect your life, whether they be positive or negative, right? Because if nothing ever happens to you, it's easy to just like stay exactly the same. No change means no change, right? But yeah, if, if like really positive things happen to you or really negative things happen to you, that means, right, you're you're going to change your behavior. And so that means you could start drawing money from where you weren't, you know, where you were saving it before um, or, or, you know spend it spend it frivolously if you're doing really really well all of a sudden instead of paying off debt yeah and something that's kind of scared me recently is it seems like more and more people are finding out about the little secret that i never like to talk a a lot about on this podcast and that's borrowing against your 401k we've mentioned it before Mm -hmm. um but i have seen more and more people kind of in the financial space or or just everyday people that i've talked to talk about borrowing against your 401k even in the sense of like buying a car and using that as your loan <laughs> and that it, to me is like really scary because sure you're borrowing against it you're going to pay it back all that good stuff but even taking that money out for a period of time you're losing those gains you're losing your doublers the whole point of like investing at a young age is you know letting that money grow with com- we talked about compound interest in our first episode this week and you know, getting those doublers as you age, and if you're constantly like dipping out from the pot, then you're not letting it do its job. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think, I think that I guess that's maybe lesson number one of this episode. Even without like adding more to the pot, is like at least don't t- dip from the pot, right? Unless unless it's an emergency situation, or you know, where I've seen. So maybe we should just kind of talk about that since it is something I've seen more on different like finance finance articles. If you're thinking about borrowing from your 401k, the situation that I would recommend most people do it in is let's say you're selling house A and buying house B. And to buy house B, you have to have 20% down, but you haven't closed on house A yet. So most houses, like most people, if you put in an offer that is contingent on selling your first house, they're not going to accept it. Unless you're in a, you know, stale market where the sellers are desperate to accept anything. Right. So usually you don't get away with that. Yeah. Usually that's hard to get away with. So sometimes you can qualify for a bridge loan. And what that means is the bank will loan you the money for the down payment. But in some situations, maybe that bridge loan has high interest rate or maybe you don't qualify. And in that situation where you know this is going to be like a six month maximum of like, you know, buying and selling these houses. I feel like that's that's a situation I would describe and say, yes, that's when it's like maybe advantageous to borrow from your 401k because you're paying the interest back to yourself. It's only going to be six months. You only buy and sell houses should be no more frequent than, you know, every five years at a minimum. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And so, 
you're not going to throw off your long-term timeline in that scenario. But for buying a car every time you want a car or, you know, just taking money out to go on a trip or something like that, that is a no-no to me. This is super dangerous to withdraw this guy because it can hurt you really bad in the long run. So unless you know it's like super temporary and you know what you're doing with this and you understand about withdrawing from here and what that means, then right, you shouldn't really consider it as an option. But yeah, I'm sure there's all kinds of like financial articles talking about that now, now that it's like picking up traction. Uh, So I'm sure... You know, you'll see it more and more. Yeah, but it it can be dangerous, so just be careful. Okay, so um, the other thing I wanted to talk about is we, both of us individually and then together as a couple, have set various savings goals throughout the years. um, Originally, when we bought our first house, one of our goals was to pay um, that that debt off faster because we only put 5% down on that house and we wanted to get to 20% so that we could get the PMI to drop off. That was a goal we've had. We've had goals to build up emergency funds. We've had you know, goals to hit a certain amount in our 401ks, all sorts of goals. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how we've stayed motivated for all these years. So I've been in the workforce now for about seven years. You've been in the workforce for nine probably. Yeah, if you don't, more don't count you. my high school and college internships and all that stuff. Post-college yeah, so workforce, like 15 yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I would say that over the years, neither one of us has decreased our 401k contributions. If anything, we've only increased it. So could you tell me a little bit about how you stay motivated every year to not fight that urge to, you know, say, hey, okay, you know, I've saved all this money in my 401k. Now this year I'm going to cut my you know, contributions back and, and take that money to spend on X, Y, or Z instead. So I think it relates back to, and and what you just said about goals, and I hate setting goals in my, like, my career. Like, I hate work goals. Like, an annual review and I have to go around and set them again. I hate that. Process. He's not exaggerating. He's like, in, like, a shit mood like for, al- like, a month. almost quit multiple times because I've had to go through this process. Um, and... But setting financial goals is a little bit easier because I'm, like, clearly benefiting from, like, the milestones that we're, like, setting off there, right? So we're, like, in a bad situation where we, like, bought our first house and had, like, a PMI on that house, right? So we were just paying extra money because we didn't put enough down on the first house, right? And so, like, to get out of that penalty, I was really motivated to, like, stop giving people my money for no reason. I hate paying people, like, interest rates on anything, so I'm like highly motivated to like, you know, get that away from my system. So we got out of that. And then we just turn around and say like, okay, we hit this goal. But then you need to immediately set another goal that is like mm-hmm. similar in, in contrast. And be like, well, what can we do now? Like we're still like taking all the money that we we're putting toward this and what can we do with that now? And so we set something and we, you know, we have these long-term plans. Every time we set a plan, we're like, all right, this is the plan forever. And then, and then we like, you know, change that a little bit and we like end up, you know, working toward that goal and hit that goal. And so we hit our annual savings goal and we we're like, okay, we're going to, you know, uh, I don't know, buy a, buy another rental property. Right. And then we save enough, up enough money for that. And then we buy that rental property and we're like, okay, now what do we do next? And so just changing those over, over and over again, keeps you like always trying to reach that finish line. So I think you made a couple of really good points there. I think one is to review your goals annually because that helps you see wow, even though I feel like I'm still so far away from my end goal of whatever that might be, look how far I came this year. So when I was like paying off my student loan debt, 
I know, like, the first year, you know, of course it was like, I want these gone as, as fast as possible. But to be able to look back and say, okay, well, you know, I graduated in May with $18,000 of student loan debt, and by December I'm down to having $8,000 of student loan debt or whatever the balance was, I could be like, oh, wow, I already paid off over half of this loan or, you know, whatever my numbers were. And, you know, I was on a very accelerated timeline because I really hated that debt. And so maybe, you know, your numbers look different. Maybe you started at 18000 and you paid off, you know, even 4000 But look at that and be like, wow, I've paid off almost 25% of this debt already. It's, you know, I'm already 25% there. So if I just keep up this behavior for another three years, I'm out of debt. And, and so set the goal for next year. And I think what helps me is, okay, so if I paid off $4,000 towards this debt this year, next year, I want to beat that. Even if it's only by a dollar, I want to pay off $4,001. So always pushing yourself to do a little bit more and a little bit better. But having those like annual check-ins helps you, one, kind of see where you came from, and two, be like, okay, what can I do next year? So then you break it up. So it's not like you're looking at this debt payoff over, oh, it's going to take me five years to pay off this debt. You're breaking it up into bite-sized pieces. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is to set manageable goals that don't extend the full five years. So that's always something I kind of did too and something we've done in the past where if we have this big savings goal, you know, maybe we want another rental property. Maybe we can't save for it in a year. So we'll say we want to save X number of dollars towards this goal this year. And so then, you know, I, I like to use Mint. I can track all of these goals in Mint and I can focus on making progress for that digestible goal instead of saying like, okay, I want, you know, this huge lump sum of money. And because I feel like saving up for a house is a really good example. You know, let's say you want to buy a $200,000 house, which isn't unreasonable in most parts of the country. And you want to put 20% down, that's $40,000. That, you know, if you're, if you're able to save $4,000 a year, which is still a good amount of money to save every year, that's going to take you 10 years. And that can feel really overwhelming. But if you can break that down and say, okay, I'm going to hit 4000 this year. And then you say, okay, next year I'm going to hit, you know, 4000 and 4100 right? Mm-hmm. And you ratchet it up, then all of a sudden before you know it, instead of 10 years, it's taking you, you know, eight or whatever. But every year you feel like you're making that progress. And that's what helps me stay on track is like knowing that I'm hitting those inter- intermittent goals. Yeah. And I think there's 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 two key ways that we've made that be very successful to us. Because you can hit those goals. Let's say we hit our $10,000 goal in November, right? Or early November. So we have about two months of like extra money that was coming in that would have gone toward that anyway. So what do you do with that money? And the decision that we always make is to just put more money toward that goal for the rest of the year to get us farther ahead for next year's goal. That's how we end up like setting a five-year goal and completing it in like two and a half years or two years, right? We end up like just putting more, more and more behind that every time there's like available stuff that we find or every time we get like a check back in the mail, which we for some reason get all the time. Um, I don't know why. I love getting checks People love sending us money, I guess. I don't know why. Um, right? All of that like just goes toward that goal because the if you have these goals set up and you have the mentality to like keep moving toward those goals and those visions, it helps you stabilize your cost of living, right? Right. And you don't inflate your lifestyle. So like, you know, by, by setting these goals, like I still am on the same plane of like, you know, 
or or less of when I was like a baller in Chicago with my like one probably less my for one you. bedroom one bedroom apartment. Yeah, because I was spending a bunch of money when I lived there. But then yeah, we've ratcheted you know different things back. We've taken some components out of our life that we like clearly identified as like you know this was totally a waste, right? And we like bought this thing and we're not going to make this mistake again because like it went in the garbage and nobody found any value of it and it was super expensive, right? Mm-hmm. And so like we've made a bunch of those mistakes along the way. And we've now set our, like, standard of living at a very comfortable place for us where we, like, definitely don't feel like we're, like, struggling in any way. But somehow we're just now saving, like, a ton of money all the time. And I think another big thing is, like, I have talked about this a lot where somebody might tell me what their priorities are. So, you know, we've made no, I guess qualms about it. When we talk on this podcast, our goal is to save money and be able to be financially independent at a young age, right? Mm -hmm. And to us, that is priority number one. We are laser focused on that goal. So we are willing to not, you know, go out to bars or not, you know, spend money in a lot of areas in life um, because that is our number one goal. So anytime we get extra money in, you know, if we get tax, a tax refund, we're not going to take that money and be like, oh, let's buy this for the apartment or let's go on a trip or let's whatever, because we're like, that needs to go into this fund for our number one goal. Now, that doesn't mean that we never travel or we never do these other things we want to do. We just budget those as part of our normal annual budget. Mm -hmm. And then any extra money, we're not like, oh, we just found this money. Like, let's go live it up this weekend or, you know, let's go splurge on this. It's like that goes to our number one goal, whatever that is at the time. You know, there's times in our life where that was paying off debt. There's times in our life where that was saving for a down payment on a house. And now, you know, that just kind of goes towards our long-term savings goal. But I think that's kind of a key component too, is like have a plan for your money. The plan can change, but don't, don't ever be like, oh, well, I just got this surprise money. So now I can like you know, do this, right. this thing. Yeah. I just got a $300 check in the mail or whatever. Like, what do I do with this money? Cause I already paid off my goal and it's not to just like go, you know, throw a pizza party for all my friends. Right. You should have a plan with that for that money. Like, and choose to decide at the end of, you know, achieving that goal, be like, okay, no, I'm going to put everything else that I have extra toward this goal also. Or, right, I'm going to do something else with that money because I have a more immediate need, like yeah, uh, something like that. But, right, just make that decision. And just so you know when any mon- any new money comes in that is unplanned or, you know, extra, that you do have a plan for that. And that is going to go somewhere and not just get, like, burned. And and right. to, to that point, the plan could be, you know, we we want to go on a nice date night. And that's part of our, like, core annual we want to check this off, right? Mm-hmm. Or we want to you know, be able to get nice coffee, whatever that is for you. Like maybe you want to have one spa day a year. And so if you get that extra money in and that allows you to do your one spa day for the year, like that's okay. Just make sure it's part of the plan. Make sure you thought about it and it's not a spontaneous, I guess ultimately we're circling back like we usually do (laughs) to telling people to avoid impulse spending. Right. All right. (laughs) Yep. So... But yeah, I mean, we're, we're guilty of like, yeah, we celebrate something like we went to this like kick ass hundred dollar fondue dinner one night, right? Like super special, but we don't do that all the time. So yeah, maybe once in a while you can do that stuff as a treat or like, you know, you're trying to treat yourself or you see it as a reward, but I don't reward myself for stuff all the time. Like I don't reward myself every night with a beer because like, you know, I'm awesome, right? Like I'll occasionally have a nice beer now 
once in a while, and that's more special to me now than if I just like bought a case of something and just like was drinking one or two beers a night. And I'm a big right? coffee person, so we've set up a system where I get to reward myself with a fancy schmancy coffee whenever I cut Brett's hair, <laughs> because that is like that's my treat for going through. It's really stressful cutting hair. <laughs> like, it's a lot of pressure. So I'm like, now I get my nice coffee. Um, so we're not saying to, like, not do this stuff. It's just make sure you understand the cost. And even when we bake in these nice celebratory coffees or beers or dinners, whatever we decide to do, we set, like, we, we're, we've we disclosed this. We disclose our annual spending every year. And we set this year. We said, okay, th- these were the areas that we want to reduce this year. So even if we're going out for this nice fondue dinner, it means that we're cooking at home extra of the that, month that month to compensate yeah. that one really nice dinner. So we always kind of look at it like we could go to, you know, 10 cheap hole in the wall places, or we can go to one nice dinner. And if we have something to celebrate, we're going to do the nice dinner and then we're not going to go out any other time. Right. So. And we still appreciate the hole in the wall places. They usually have the best food. We do. We, we <laughs> love the hole in the wall places, but sometimes you need a melty pot of cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, um, okay, and then the other thing I want to talk about is a really good way to kind of fight the the middle ground. You know, if you're on a five-year journey, maybe you're breaking off year after year pieces, but it, you know, year two, you're like, well, I hit my goal this year, but I'm still like, you know, not even halfway. And that can feel discouraging. I actually recommend in that situation to set it and forget it. So you can literally automate payments. You can automate, you know, savings if you want to. You can just like when you get paid, you can dump it right over to your savings account and not even look at it. And just like focus on a different area of your life. Like let the money do its thing and then focus on like, you know, reading more or whatever else you want to do in life, whatever your goals are. And that's something I've done as well. Like sometimes I set and forget the money stuff and I just sit there and crochet like an old lady on all night. (laughs) Yeah. This is, this is my favorite part of this conversation because you can treat your financial journey, right? Just like you would treat a diet. And so anybody that's just like, you know, a binge dieter or like circles from plan to plan, right? If you start a diet of any kind, right? What happens like six months down the road, right? You end up falling back in your old bad habits. But the coolest thing about the financial diet is that you can, you can automate working out, right? And so you'd like, or like, right, as part of that process. So you can set all these things so to work out automatically for you. So if I could just go to the gym and just have my body be on autopilot, uh, I would totally be on the board with that, right? I'm just like, don't have to do anything, but I'm all working out all the time. Great. I get fit. So it's basically <laughs> like those, have you seen those machines where they strap that band around your waist and then it just vibrates? The butt shaker machine? And it just totally like jiggles you and no. it doesn't work. But it's like this financial version of that butt jiggling machine actually works. Right. So, yeah, you can set up all these automated processes with your money of where the money goes, like when it gets taken out of your paycheck and put into these accounts and, you know, you don't have to worry about it anymore. And that's like the safest thing that you can do for like never having to like be tempted to like do anything else with that money. And you know it's going to work for you in the long run. Right. right? So get those gains, right? It's leg day every day. Well, it's pretty cool because there's been certain accounts, you know, I mentioned on the Compound Interest episode earlier this week about how I like opened a mutual fund when I was young and like from 19 to, you know, 23, when I was like going to college and really busy, you know, being a college student, I didn't really check in on that account every, every month. So when I graduated and I was like, wow, this is just like 50% higher than it used to be. 
that was like really cool, right? Mm-hmm. So like sometimes setting it and forgetting it and then checking back in annually or, you know, maybe maybe you take a couple of years off or whatever it is, you're going to be like, oh, wow, I just, I got all these gains just because right. my body was on autopilot this whole time, <laughs> like going to the butt shaking machine. Right. And same thing, same thing with working out, right? You look at yourself every day and you're like, I'm not really seeing any changes in the results, right? But if you like wait six months or a year or four years, you're like, wow, I am a totally different person now. Right. right? And so same thing with the finances. If you look at it every day, like you never noticed that it like added like 0.2 cents interest or whatever, right? But and if you wait, if you wait five years or 10 years and the money's doubled since you put it in, you're like, oh man, I'm going to leave this in here because this is like just taking names. Unless you're me and you like to look at your budget so I can, you know, yell at you every day and be like, oh my God, why'd you spend so much money today? What's going on? I never spend money. <laughs> I know. It's I cheeseburger week. That's it's why. Cheeseburger week. Um, all right. Well, I think that about wrapped up this episode. Do you have anything else you wanted to add, Brett? Uh, no, I think we're. I think we're good. It's a. Uh, it's. It's about building a lifestyle, right? So back in, like, along along the lines of the diet. It's not about like you know binge dieting or anything. It's about building a lifestyle and you know changing those habits and. And that's know, a really good it. point. It's about building a sustainable lifestyle. So for me and my dieting, it's funny. I actually had a college friend message me recently and. Um, Cause it's Poonchki season and I'm like the number one Poonchki fan. And he was like, oh yeah. And you know, like according to your social media, I don't think you really indulge anymore because a lot of times on there I'm posting like other recipes or I'm not talking enough about Poonchki's and that's my bad. I'm dropping the ball. <laughs> um, but like Brett can attest to this. Like I have not given up all sweets. <laughs> like I'm, I just destroyed some brownies last week. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're not trying to say never enjoy the brownies. Right. Like everything in moderation and and like we've tried to highlight on this episode a little bit we're not saying like cut out all spending and be super frugal and hate your life that's not our message that's not what we're trying to right. preach that, that's we're, not that's not a good way to build a financial you know diet it's not a good way to build an eating diet right you right. can't starve yourself or like make yourself hate what you're doing otherwise you will never stick to it so build it yeah build a sustainable budget and so when i help people budget i look at their current spending And I say, it looks like you enjoy X, Y, and Z, but it looks like Z is costing you a lot of money. Why don't you try trimming that by 10%, right? And you cut back slowly on some of these things to get to that right level of spending where you're spending a reasonable amount and your happiness level is high. And if all of a sudden you're, you cut that too far, we've done that before where we like ratchet down too hard. I mean, there's We've done this with going out to eat where we're like, we're going to take, you know, three months off or we're not going to go out to eat at all. And we're like, we really miss having date night out. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now we bake that in of like, we are going to set our budget at this dollar amount and that's going to, you know, allow us to go out to eat a reasonable amount. It's going to allow us to enjoy burger week and we're going to be happier for it. Mm -hmm. So um, definitely find that right level. There's a balance for everybody and be sustainable. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, If you have any feedback or want to share your success story or what you're saving for and you want an accountability buddy, um, let us know. I'm happy to, like, email people and check in and say, how's it going? I know that can help with, like, the fitness realm. And so it will probably help with the financial realm as well. Um, I know it's actually helped Brett and I to have each other over the years where if one of us was like super spendy and the other one was a saver, that would be a lot harder to hit these goals. And the fact that we keep each other on track and accountable has been super helpful. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a difficult 
you know relationship to be in is when you guys are just not aligned on on, on some of those those habits. Yeah. Yeah. So if you need a financial accountability buddy, feel free to email me, and I will um, check in periodically to be like, "Yo, how's how's it going?" Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in, guys. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.